Welcome to the Born to Be a Badass podcast, the show about the intersection of women's empowerment, embodiment, and self-defense, and what women need to know and do to enhance their physical, mental, and emotional safety. Here's your host, fourth-degree black belt and self-protection expert, Cynthia Jalakor-Rude. Welcome to the Born to Be a Badass podcast. I'm your host, Cynthia Jolica-Rood, and today I am so excited to bring you another episode of Fierce and Female Friday with Melissa Salt, a truly badass pioneer in the world of women's self-defense and the creator of Fierce and Female Self-Defense. Welcome back, Melissa. Thank you. Well, okay, take a breath, because today we are going to talk about rape defense the essential physical strategies, and also how to summon strength and maintain your presence of mind. Now, a 2015 report from the National Intimate Partner and Sexual Violence Survey reported that one in five women in the United States have experienced completed or attempted rape during their lifetime, and one in three of those women experienced it for the first time between the ages of 11 and 17. They estimate that 734,630 people were raped, and that includes threatened, attempted, or completed rape in the United States in 2018, and that's just in the U.S. But even those numbers don't reflect the true toll that rape Mm -hmm. takes. Mm -hmm. Many sexual assaults are not reported, and statistics don't shed any light at all on the mental, emotional, and psychological impact the suffering that comes from being raped. So, Melissa, this is yeah. this is a deep and tricky subject. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to hand it over to you to kick us off uh, with perhaps a bit of a trigger warning. Yes, actually, kickoff is an interesting term here. Um, so, just on the heels of what you're saying, before I get to the trigger warning, it is a profoundly devastating act of violence rape is against women. And I mean, I don't know any women who just even upon hearing it or hearing a woman's story doesn't feel that chill. You know, it strikes at the heart of women all over the world. And I think it echoes throughout time. Just, you know, rape is a devastating act and it can be, as you shared, committed, perpetrated by a stranger or by somebody familiar or in the family. So this is a serious, heavy-duty topic. But that being said, we're going to get into some practical stuff. But first, I want to give some background. But before we even start there, like you said, we need a trigger warning. And just to let our listeners know, because we care about them, we love them, and to take care of them, that you know we are going to get into some nitty-gritty here. And I am going to talk about rape paralysis and freezing and something called tonic immobility and what that is. So if you have experienced rape or sexual assault and you have any trauma from that, which is very likely, just a word of caution that do what you need to do so that you can listen to this and be okay with it. Or maybe you want to listen to it with a friend or a loved one or a good partner or a therapist or just at another time when it's right for you, especially if your trauma is fresh. 
this is a critical thing when teaching also is, you know, in all my years and decades of teaching, generally, I don't want people to come to a class where I'm going to include rape defense strategies and scenarios if their trauma is so fresh and they will be triggered or in any way harmed inadvertently, albeit by getting into this topic. So please take care. You know, self-defense is about protecting the self and that includes your emotional self. So let that be said, right? Thank you. Um, yeah, that's, yeah, that's it's great. so important. It, it, it's so important. It, it really is. And the thing, and you mentioned this word, it takes a toll, the impact. If sexual assault, we can agree, is taking without consent, which it is in order to be an assault, I think it's fair to say that rape is perhaps the ultimate taking without consent. And taking is a really key word here because many survivors talk about in the aftermath that it isn't even, if I could say something so crude, the rape itself, the indignity of that, the pain and the suffering of, of that. It isn't even, it isn't only the actual act of rape that causes such intense suffering, but that something in the course of a rape, women will say, was taken from me. And it's the loss of that something, I'm going to give some examples, that can exact the greatest toll. So any way you look at it, this is really awful stuff. Now, what do people say when they say what, something was taken away? And there's no one answer to this. Let it be said that there's in anything I say that we could say here, or, or as you say in techniques, there's no one answer. But some of the things that women often report was taken away or robbed from them in the course of a rape is their dignity, a sense of deep connection with themselves. I mean, this is intimate assault. So a sense of intimacy with themselves. Power and control are often taken away from a woman in the course of a rape. Safety. I can't stress this enough because safety is fundamental to life. You have to feel safe, at least to some degree, in your skin, in your body, and in your sense of being in the world. Rape, a rape can completely annihilate a woman's sense of safety. And how are we supposed to navigate our world if we don't have safety? It's at the top of the hierarchy of needs. Pieces of a woman's psyche and feelings often go missing in action, if you will, which I'll get into more with tonic immobility. And these parts of oneself can be taken away. The ability to feel pleasure or joy in life. This is very common in the course of recovery, in the course of therapy, in the course of, course of healing. Because of the nature of the act of rape, a woman often feels an inability to feel pleasure. It takes a long time to get that back. Obviously, you know, trust in relationships and, and a sense of healthy sexuality, a sense of sanity itself. So these are just some of what happens in the course of a rape. Not has to happen, not always happens. But when women say something was taken away, and sometimes it's hard to articulate what that something is, but it's a whole mass of things that go to the core of a, of a woman's safety and identity. So again, this is why this is so devastating, a crime, a violence. And one woman said it so well. Um, she said to me that her, the rape robbed 
the technicolor from her life. Wow, right? And just all the vitality. And unfortunately, in some cases, the trauma, the aftermath of a rape can take a woman's life altogether. Suicides. Now, I I don't want to paint a totally dramatic picture, but again, the taking is a key word here. Taking without consent and all these things that can be taken away in the course of a rape. So this is a really important topic. And it's more reason why we want to try and learn whatever we can, we being the universality of women, in order to not be raped, in order to thwart rape, I should say, and in order to resist. And there's a lot of different ways that we we can resist. Well, before we jump into that, let me just say mm -hmm, that like all of those things that you just laid out, I mean, number one, it just, I can feel my skin getting hot just listening to that list Mm -hmm. because it's, it's a horrible landscape. It is. And just the sheer knowledge of how many women experience those consequences, you know, even mm-hmm. one or more is just horrifying. But one of the things that I think is underneath it is that rape is not about sex. Mm. Right. It, it is about power and control. Mm-hmm. And especially in the intimate partner situations, yes. one of the consequences or one of the impacts is this incredible sense of betrayal of trust. Oh, oh totally. How it could shreds I... the trust. Yep. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so I think yes. that this is one of the things where it's sometimes hard to have a conversation, especially with men, about rape is because it mm-hmm. tends to get equated with just a sexual act. And all mm-hmm. of those things that mm-hmm. you just laid out, yes, they're mm-hmm. consequences of the physical violation and the sexual assault, but they're also the fallout from yeah. having somebody exert that kind of power and control over you. Because obviously, if they're exerting that over you, they're taking it away from you, which goes right back to what you talked about at the beginning, is it's the ultimate taking with no consent. Yes. Uh, well said, as always. Absolutely. It's everything you just said. It is. It just takes so much out of a woman's life. Now, that being said, you know, resilience in the recovery. And I don't want to spend too much time on the recovery. That's another topic, but resilience factors in. And, you know, I mean, so some women, depending on their psychological makeup and their, if they've had prior acts of of sexual assault, maybe even more devastated. I mean, there's a fact of re-victimization. By that, I mean that when a woman and especially a young woman, is violated through sexual violence or abuse, it's more common. The incidence of being, of being violated again goes up. So it's more reason why it's really imperative, you know, if a woman has been raped or, or, or assaulted, that she get the kind of support and the help that she need to recover as best as, as is possible. I don't think healing really ever ends, but we certainly do recover. And again, like you said, before I get into strategies, there's a few more things I just want to talk about here is background, because sometimes it's like you said, it's a hard topic. It's hard for people, friends and families, and even instructors and supplements to know what to say. So this is a common thing. You know, if somebody tells you that they were raped, whether you're a family, a friend or an instructor, 
you, especially as an instructor, if I can just go there for a minute, what you don't want to say is, oh, geez, if only you'd have learned my methods or my techniques, this wouldn't have happened to you, right? Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. No, people say it. They'll, I've heard instructors and I've read about it say, oh, well, you know, let me show you how that you not to do that, not to go there, not let that happen. Like putting the, sh- the Here's blame what you should have done. Yeah. What you should do <laughs> is just listen. Yeah. Empathically, whether you're a friend or instructor and really with an open heart and with empathy to say, I'm so sorry that this happened to you or some version of that. And how can I best support you? That's pretty much the bottom line of what you want to do. And, you know, because women are already carrying such a burden when they've been raped, you know, their own sense of perhaps internalized shame or blame or what could I have done or should I have done. So for God's sake, you know, use empathy, ask how you can support a person. That's really the best thing that you can do to help a person. And also, another fact is to understand, and people are surprised to hear me say this because, hey, I'm, you know, I do fierce and female, Dr. Ruthless, right? But submission is a viable option. And I think that needs to be said out loud. Sexual sacrifice, I think we can all agree, it's a lousy option, albeit, right? Mm-hmm. It's not an option a woman or a man, men get raped too, should ever have to face. But it is a viable option. Sometimes it may be the only or the best option a woman perceives, at least in the moment. And I use that word moment intentionally because dynamics change, positions change, a situation changes, right? So, you know, never shame a person for that ever. But here's my bottom line. If a woman chooses not to actively resist, because there are different ways we can resist, in a sexual assault. I wish it would be, let it be, because she has assessed her situation and determined that it's just far too injurious in that moment or at at that point in time, but not because she thinks that she shouldn't or she simply doesn't know how to. I mean, there are strategies you can learn. So that's really an important thing to understand. Submission really is a viable option. And I know people are shocked to hear me say that, but you don't tell women they should always fight back. Well, actually, no, I don't. What I want women to have is options, choices, tools, strategies, the ability to think, assess, and then have authority over their decisions. And even research has shown that if a woman chooses submission, it's an important choice nonetheless, as opposed to feeling completely helpless or having no choices. So that goes to the old age-old question, resist or submit, right? Now, I it's you know, I can imagine for myself, just speaking for myself, there might be a situation where even I would choose to submit at least for a period of time. Now, this is going to sound really dramatic, but let's just say, for example, you're a woman in a village, a remote village, and you're in sub-Saharan Africa, and guerrilla fighters have attacked your village, and they are surrounding your home with full-on assault rifles, and your children are there, and they say, you comply with me, with us, and do what we say, or we're going to blow your kids' heads off. What are you going to do? Probably, I hope you're going to comply, at least for 
a period of time, right? Now, that's a really extreme example. But if we scale that down to you know, suburban or urban America, still, you know, I, I mean, a, a woman has to know her strengths. Maybe there are other people in the house sleeping. So there are many reasons why, again, that we cannot poo-poo and as instructors just say, oh, never submit. That's just absolutely not true. You have to assess it for yourself and make a decision that's best for you. And again, I want to emphasize the in the moment because a lot of rates happen in phases. They can go on for a period of time. And maybe there's an initial rape portion of a rape where you comply with a person's dirty demands. And then in a passage from a book I'm about to read to you soon, the person gets up, the rapist gets up to fully pull your jeans off. Well, great. Here's your opening. Boom. You go then. So in fact, in reality, women have used multiple strategies. That's actually more common than not, you know, than any one thing. And statistically, statistically on that note, resist, resist or submit. Again, you know, there's nobody but you. You're the only, you're the only one with you in that moment. So you're your best judge, right? Mm-hmm. But statistically, I do want to say that research corroborates that resistance works in thwarting sexual attacks and thwarting rape. And that means it could be fighting, physically fighting, which we're going to get into some strategies, yelling, pulling a fire alarm, something forceful, an, an active act of resistance. It could be, you know, picking up a handy object and slamming it over the person. These kinds of forceful strategies are most effective in thwarting a rape so that it doesn't go to completion at the very least as opposed to pleading, please don't hurt me, right? Or just listening to a disingenuous words, oh, do what I say and you won't get hurt. I mean, that goes to another topic about unsolicited promises, right? Right. But, you know, that is generally not the case. It could be, you know, you could get lucky and maybe a person is in fact going to let you go. And I know where that's happened, but you can't count on that. Now, all on the heels of that, you know, won't I get hurt worse? The question is, if I fight back, mm-hmm. right? Guys, bigger, stronger. Well, you might. But what, how do we measure the injury of a rape? You know, how do we measure, am I going to get hurt worse? The aftermath, the traumatic suffering. And, and also what the research shows is that it's often the first blows struck to the women, to the woman by the rape that caused the greatest injury, not, and that's what compelled her, let's say, to fight back. But it's not because she fought back that she incurred those injuries. It's usually because of the first blows struck. And that's a really important distinction, right? Do you follow me here, mm-hmm. everybody? I hope. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. So again, it's your choice. Do what you think is right. And or best for you in that moment. But these are the this is what the research and the evidence really shows us, right? And you always want to keep hunting. One of my points here before I get into tonic mobility, always hunting for opportunities for openings or recreating them in order to choose, you know, when we might want to fight back. So for example, you know, if somebody, like I said, gets up, that might be your opening. If Somebody is bringing out a cord or duct tape or rope, which is one of the things that I do when I'm teaching is we simulate that, then you need to go. You need the time is now. 
you need to create an opening. You need to fight back with whatever skills that you have, because that's obviously very dangerous if somebody goes to disable your weapons. That's a, a very bad scene. So there's there's just that. Now, the last thing I want to mention here before I get into some practical strategies is this topic of freezing and tonic immobility. I think probably, you know, you have a very educated listenership and I'm sure everybody listening has knows the three Fs. You know, what are the responses to stress? Well, fight. We used to just think it was two, fight Mm -hmm. or flight. Now we know freeze is another common response, fight, flight, freeze. And there are actually some other ones. Freezing is actually the most common and it happens often initially. And it's as simple as, you know, somebody goes from behind your back. And for a moment, you know, there's the flinch or the freeze response because it brings a shock to the system. And when the system is shocked, our first most natural response is a freeze. Now, that doesn't have to last forever. So don't think that, hey, you know, I'm prone to freezing. That's sort of my default, if you will. That doesn't mean that you're just going to freeze up in a rape attack. And it might happen in seconds. It might happen in moments. You know, and but that doesn't mean that's that's your, you know, your fate. That's not the case. Now, a lot of people and this is an important point that I wanted to just touch upon. There's something called tonic immobility and a lot of rape relevance is sort of how it's often referred to. Right now, this isn't just freezing. And there's a distinction here. Like I said, uh, freezing is a natural thing and it can happen in moments. Tonic immobility is an involuntary, it's like a deep freeze. It's an involuntary action, a kind of anesthesia of the body and mind. And it's what happens, I'm going to read a passage in a minute here that will really illuminate this. When a person has made numerous attempts, usually repeated attempts to escape, and those attempts for whatever reason have failed, And this also happens with entrapment, where there is no escape, at least not in the foreseeable, you know, moments of time. And this often happens in child abuse, child sexual abuse. So in a case like that, what happens is a total shutdown of the defense, your body's natural defense mechanisms. It's often referred to as one of nature's little mercies because tonic immobility, the going to the state of deep freeze and dissociation is a survival mechanism. It allows you to get through a horrific event. It happens in warfare. It happens during natural disasters. It mitigates pain and it keeps you, can keep you alive. So I want to just read a brief description of this. And then I want to say a little bit more because it's just important to understand these things. And, and what's happened over the years is that some years ago, I might, it might be Ann Campbell, I'm trying to remember the researcher, who published a lengthy article about tonic immobility. Now, that's a clinical term, and therapists such as myself, former therapists, are familiar with this, but most people are really, are really not. And she wrote a long article, and unfortunately, it made a lot of women reading it think, well, what's the point of fighting back? I'm just going to have this <laughs> tonic immobility, and that isn't really necessarily true at all. So I'm reading from this book, which I really recommend everybody read. It's by far, hands down, it is the best. It's a memoir on a woman's experience of rape and her journey back. And it's, it's a literary gem. It's written by a beautific writer. 
um, and researcher. It's called After Silence is the name of the book, Rape and My Journey Back. And the author is a woman named Nancy Venable Rain, R-A-I-N-E. And she wrote it in the late 1998, I believe. But it's just, I can't say enough about this book. It's poignant. It's beautifully written and it's chock full of research. Now, this was a while back, mind you, but it's just a, a stunning, a stunning book. So in it, and this is this was a stranger, right? She lived in Cambridge, Massachusetts at the time, a very bright, educated woman, and she went to take out her trash. And um, she took out the trash and then, you know, she kind of jaunted back into the house and locked the door behind her, as we do. And uh, somewhere early in the book, she said, you know, that should bring about a sense of safety. I've taken out the trash. I come in, I lock the door, except if you've locked the devil in with you. Mm. So, you know, that gives you a sense of where this is going. So this is about tonic immobility, and she describes it so well. So she's talking here. I'm going to, it's about three paragraphs, not even. I'm going to just read them because I can't say it better. So she's referring to an explorer, a world-renowned explorer named David Livingston. And she says, The explorer David Livingston was once attacked by an African lion, and his description of that moment had so impressed me when I first read it many years before the rape that I'd recorded it in the first of many commonplace books that I have kept beside me over the years when I read. My own experience of shock, she says, is remarkably similar. So this is her words. Livingston reported that the lion sprang on him as he stood on a small hill, catching him by the shoulder. They both fell to the ground below. Growling horribly close to my ear, Livingston wrote, he, the lion, shook me as a terrier dog does a rat. The shock produced a stupor similar to that which seems to be felt by a mouse after the first shake of the cat. It caused a sort of dreaminess in which there was no sense of pain nor feeling of terror, although I was quite conscious of all that was happening. This singular condition was not the result of any mental process. The shake annihilated fear and allowed no sense of horror horror in looking around at the beast. This peculiar state is probably produced in all animals killed by the carnivore. And if so, is a merciful provision for lessening the pain of death. I'm just going to read a little bit more. Now, this is back to what Nancy is saying. She says, during the attack, my terror seemed to implode and compress. It was a very violent rape, by the way, to implode and compress until it was a hard, like a hard, dry seed. Once I was free of this devouring fear, a cold, even calculating awareness took its place, illuminating everything all at once and destroying all capacity for emotion. I agree with Livingstone that this anesthesia is merciful. And then she goes on in the next paragraph to say how she was singularly focused on her attacker at this point, microscopically. And she talked about his ferocity of rage, a universe of ferocity, she said, that was sustained by fear and pain, meaning hers. I had no emotional reaction at, at some point to this universe and observed it with the detachment of a yogi. Now, this is describing tonic immobility. Last thing, last bit I'm going to read. In this detachment, a state I reached the moment I knew I could not physically escape. That's the key part. Repeated attempts failed or entrapment, right? Mm -hmm. Then 
she experienced his rage as if it were a separate entity, a shadow self to his physical being. I understood that this entity was hungry, meaning his rage, and that it was feasting on something from me, my terror, my physical and psychic pain. It got energy from me, and in the initial moments of the attack, when my terror was uncontrollable, it had gained strength. And then she wraps up this little bit by saying that at some point when she escape was no longer an option, I withdrew all reaction, although this act was involuntary. So tonic immobility is the full shutdown. It is psychic numbing. It is dissociation, all commonly referred to leaving the body, but it's a little bit more complex than that. A depersonalization, because the situation is so horrific that the only way for you to survive and get through it is to yourself off, okay? Mm -hmm. And it's a complete shutdown. This is uh, what tonic immobility is. And it's also called rate paralysis. And it comes with an associated sensations. Uh, A coldness actually comes over the body. When she talks about a cold calculated thing, there's actually a physicality and anatomy to that. And also, (laughs) people have the expression, oh, I was scared stiff. Well, guess what? You can be scared stiff mm-hmm. because the muscles develop an immobility. So these are the cluster and constellation of events that are chronic immobility. And again, I just think it's an important thing for people to understand. And it doesn't mean it's going to happen. But please have compassion and understand if you hear a story from a friend, a loved one, a family member, a student, that this is a very real thing and the undoing of this if you if you will the the recovery from this is often years of reintegration and the re, you know the refinding of those pieces of yourself and reintegrating them that went sort of you know missing in action if you will but there is a difference so freezing is natural freezing is normal you know when kids seek game and they're little and you say okay i'm going to close my eyes now you hide and what do they do They just stand in place right in the middle of the room sometimes. (laughs) And they'll say, okay, find me. They actually think they can't be seen. This is like early stages of the freeze response. It it kind of goes along with what's called freezing and hiding, right? Right. So freezing is natural. Tonic immobility is an extreme. It's sort of that on steroids. It's the total deep freeze. And Unfortunately, it happens. And the reason I say this, and we're going to now get into the strategies, is because it's all the more reason to learn strategies for resistance in the various forms of that. Because the longer a person has control over you, the more difficult, generally speaking, it will become to enable that escape. So, having mm-hmm. strategies and options and skills and tools. And the ability to be present, and I'm going to go over some tips for that too, and think, can help you kind of bypass that. It sort of rewires the brain, not totally because, you know, again, this is an involuntary thing, but it can help undo the freezing. And this goes to one of the reasons it's so important to learn skills and strategies. Well, before we jump into those, I I just want to say thank you for that dive into what tonic immobility is. and. The reason that I think that this is so important is the number one fear that many women express is 
that if something mm-hmm. happens, I'm just going to freeze and I'm not yep. going to be able to do anything. So making that distinction between that right. temporary freeze right. that comes from being startled and taken by yes. surprise, mm-hmm. uh, which is where mental blueprints and things like that can be helpful and training can be helpful versus this tonic immobility, which is, and this is, I mean, for me, this just lights me up because it is, what does your body do naturally? This is, you know, how we're designed, right? It's how we're designed as human beings. It's a protective response. Absolutely. Just like the startle flinch push away danger is Mm -hmm. a natural innate protective response that we can't not do. Yeah. Um, So understanding that I think is essential for women who have experienced something like this, where they, mm-hmm. where they were in that situation where they've tried and nothing has worked, or they just got absolutely blitzed and overwhelmed yeah. and there was no possibility totally. mm-hmm. escape mm-hmm. to understand the fact that you dissociated, that you had this immobility where you, you couldn't do anything. And, you know, all of those things that you described about this state, the fact that that happened doesn't mean you did anything wrong. Of course. It's and it alleviates your design. Yes. Yes. It's a survival. And that's why I love this thing about Livingston, the lion. It's like, yes, yes. And that happens in warfare. It yeah. happens in conflict. It happens, you know, it can happen on the battlefield. It can mm-hmm. happen in a natural disaster. I mean, freezing is, yeah, we can all freeze. And, and, and that's a natural, con- and it's kind of like, in that moment, we'll get our shit together. Right. You know, okay. But you, like you said, women's worst fear is being mummified in a capsule of terror. Mm-hmm. Absolutely mummified, right? Now, freezing is, is just so common. It's like, you know, you're in a situation and let's say there's an intruder. You're in the workplace, wherever it is. And some people naturally flee. Some people just, you know, take action. And some people will tend towards, oh, just kind of freezing in place. It happened to me when I was a kid in one of my first stories, you know, when two boys kind of roughed up me and my girlfriend, I froze. But, and then, so what happens is sometimes it takes another person to draw you out of that. And this is, you know, bystander intervention and all kinds of things where you, you, you know, we see it in movies, if not in real life, where somebody grabs the person and says, hey, come on, snap out of it. Mm-hmm. So that's not tonic immobility. That's okay. You know, person froze, right? Right. So it's important to understand this because you don't want to blame yourself or feel shame. Yes, this happens. And it is one of nature's little mercies. You know, I I just, I love this idea that it's it's, It's it's designed to protect, survive, and to mitigate pain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Taking us. Uh, it's how we escape a situation, not always by doing, but by escaping the confines of our body, if, you know. So well, it's really yeah. what helps you endure if there's no other choice. Exactly. It's what it is what helps us endure. Um, yeah. Of course, there's a lot of pieces to pick up after the fact, but 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 so what? You know, you survive. And, yes. and that's what's important. So okay. I, I'm not going to go into all the other uh, uh, strategies, <laughs> but um, appeasing people, there's something called fawning, which is kind of like, a supersized people pleasing kind of thing that mm-hmm. can help thwart um, an attack. But let me get into some thwarting strategies because yes. before you go physical, you want to know, you know, what are some ways you can, you can thwart rape attempts? I mean, just very briefly, you know, there are women who've been able to dissuade and talk their way out of it. Great. 
You know, you don't want to count on any one thing. I actually have a friend who years ago was her ex, enraged ex, broke into her apartment in the middle of the night, jumped on top of her and started like punching her in the face and, you know, said horrific things. And she looked right up at him and using her own intuitive sensibility, it goes back to the intuition. She looked at him. I forget the guy's name, but let's just say it was George. She says, George, you don't want to do this. You love me. I know it. And she started talking to him and it created a kind of internal conflict such that he had aborted his mission. Now, you know, you can't count on that, but it could happen. Dissuading, trickery, lies. Oh, I have this great little story. A student of mine uh, some years ago, also in that same Cambridge area, so a guy broke into her home in the, in the middle of the night with a gun, firearm, and she was home alone with her little six-month-old, eight-month-old baby. He broke in and he, his intent, he wanted to rape her. You know, he made in no uncertain uh, terms what he intended to do. So she was trying to think really fast. And again, first using her intuition, because that is also a strategy. Too. She sensed in him that he was kind of a, for lack of better words, a novice. He seemed nervous. Mm-hmm and young and you know maybe a little bit on drugs but mostly she senses nervousness so she and the baby started crying oh she pinched the baby this was so smart of her she was able to quickly get to the baby's crib she hated doing this she pinched the baby really hard and the baby started screaming and he didn't like this because he didn't want anybody to hear this so she then concocted this ruse where she said please i'll do whatever you say you know giving him the control back not resisting, not showing at. And she said, if I can just get the baby outside for a second, there's this thing where me and the baby would look up at the sky. It'll calm her down and she'll be so quiet. Nobody will hear a thing. I promise. I promise. And he fell for it. So out the back door they go because he was, she was right. You know, he was not very, he was not a very experienced rapist. Mm -hmm. So they walk out the back door. She looks up at the sky with the baby and for a moment, Oh, he even left his firearm in the house. All right, stupid, right? For a moment, he looks up at the sky. And in that split second, this is why you're always hunting for opportunities, for moments, for slivers of opportunity to make your escape. She runs back into the house, locks the door, calls the police. End of story, right? So trickery, lying, you know, I have to use the bathroom, whatever it is, all of that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Dissuasion, yelling, shouting calling attention to what's happening. Can you pull a fire alarm? Can you make, can you slam something? I actually had a colleague who used this strategy working in a mental health center out in Colorado many years ago in the, in the days when we had an actual desk phone and a client turned out to be a rapist and she yanked the phone and she threw it against the door. Of course, everybody came running. What's going on in there, right? right. So yelling, throwing something into a wall, making a scene, uh, Grabbing a handy weapon, if you can, beforehand, you know, for that split second, the person turns their back. And again, this is why you have to have presence of mind. And I'm going to do some tips about that. So these are just some of, there's no end all be all list. But of course, you want to try to thwart a situation before, as soon as you can, you know, sooner is better than later. So in the final stages, if somebody's going to rape you, right? And you and I have um, talked a little bit about this before. What are some of the tactics that a rapist or sexual predator will Mm -hmm. use? And usually it will, they will use their greater set that point, right? You're thwarting them, isn't working. You know, there you are with this person and they will use terror tactics. They might say horrible things. They might 
yell, scare the bejesus out of you. That's their goal. And and ultimately, they're going to use their greater size and strength and intimidation and terror tactics in order to gain the compliance and control that they want to try to subdue their intended victim without resistance. So Mm -hmm. these are some of the things that, you know, will happen, right? Bigger size, bigger strength, say horrible things. And that's scary stuff. One of the things that I teach is helping women learn how to stay coiled up inside of themselves when that's happening, stay very tight with themselves and scan what they're saying for clues, you know, scan the language because maybe there's something important for you to know about what he's saying he's going to do. But don't try not, it's really, really hard. It's one of the hardest things. Try not to let a person's words get under your skin. It's kind of like water on a duck's back. You know, that's really important because I can't tell you how many women, you know, come to classes and are very uncomfortable with quote bad language. Oh yeah. And you know, we almost have to desensitize to that a little bit. You do. With the explanation that, you know, this verbal assault and this emotional assault is the first part that comes before a physical assault quite often. And if, if you get upset by somebody calling you a bitch, you are so much more vulnerable than if you can recognize that all of this vitriol and abuse that's coming your way is really just a tactic. And it's so easy to say, don't take it, it personally, but it's really important. So I love this, this concept of coiling to, to stay within yourself. It's mm-hmm. almost like putting on yes. your armor. Yes. And and gathering yourself, your resources in the face of the onslaught. Yes. And that will come into play also in an actual, you know, if somebody's on top of you and timing, and I'm going to talk about that in just a minute, but this, yes, you gather yourself, you collect yourself, you stay focused. This is part of what, you know, you and I probably teach in order to maintain presence. And and there's going to be a lot worse words than you bitch. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not going to oh, absolutely. share them here, but um, in, in Nancy's book, and you know, it's just horrific. It's horrifying. And they're often personalized because they've been watching you or they know you. So it's degrading, it's humiliating, and it's terrifying. So yes, um, the garbage mouthing, as we call it, inoculation, it's like an inoculation, which is where good scenario training can come in because, you know, in, a, in an appropriate way, graduated way, you know, some of that um, in my own training background is simulated because mm-hmm. it, you develop the antibodies to resist yeah. that, basically. So, okay. So now you're at the point where a few different strategies for an actual lying down rape attack. Now, I'm going to break this down really simply in plain English without getting too technical, but let's just say, you know, you're asleep. All right. And somebody's coming and you wake up and they're at the foot of your bed. Don't wait. This is what I call if you can see space and there's an opening, go in now. Take it. You know, get your legs in between, fire off kicks, you know, grab the nearest weapon. Don't wait. Again, try not to let, you know, the the panic or the freeze overpower you. If there's space, just take it and go in, you know, pick up whatever you can. But there's no reason to wait. I mean, this is a a crazy thing, but it's so obvious, it seems. But somebody walks in your door, 
you know, get out. <laughs> Somebody's approaching you in bed or they're starting to crawl on top of you. As long as you can move, if you can move your hips, if you can free a part of you, you can get a hand free and, you know, stick your thumb in somebody's eye or again, you know, use your leg like a battering ram or, you know, attack the face. I mean, do it sooner than later. Just, and, and another example of that is in a, on, if a woman is on all fours, if you will, put into that position, right? Your hands and your knees and somebody's approaching from behind. Don't, you don't have to wait for the rape to happen. You know, drop onto your side. And again, I'm a big fan of using your legs, our biggest, strongest weapons, and start firing off hellacious kicks, you know, or take your elbow and, you know, use a back elbow. So there's, if there's space, own it, take it, use it. Okay. There are things like, can you, even if somebody's sort of starting to get, for lack of better words, on top of you, can you bite their ear? Can you yell ferociously into their ear? This is a, a, another, I'm a big fan of this dirty tactic. Like if you can get up close and personal, somebody's coming, they're at the side of you, they're getting on top of you and your face is near their head you know, scream bloody murder right into the ear. You'll be shocked at how horrible that is <laughs> on the receiving end. And it will make a person pull back. Now you've bought yourself a little bit more space. Part of the goal is always getting space so you can free your body's natural weapon or get a weapon in there. So anytime you're able to just, you know, get your hands on them because they're still, they're not fully weighted on, then right. go right away. Okay, zero to a hundred percent. Now, obviously, you know that's not always the case, and in fact, a lot of the same techniques that I'll teach in a lying down, rape-specific pins, are exactly the same techniques that a woman can learn standing up. Let's say that you're standing, and you're and rapes can happen in a stand-up position. You know, let's say you're pinned against a wall or a surface, and somebody is engulfing you saying the horrible things, maybe they've punched you, they're pounding the wall, they're going all aggressive. Well, a lot of those same moves, you know, using the, your palm, striking at the face, punching the throat, grabbing the head or the hair with two hands and spinning their head into the wall. If we just think about it without emotion right now, just from a purely physical position, it's that hot breath on your face range. That's the same kind of range you will likely be at in a lying down rape specifics pin. Mm -hmm. It's not everything, not oral rapes and some other positions, but so any technique that you know from a standing, your nastiest, most brutish, and while you, and the whole time you're yelling, right? You can probably do, or you might be able to do in a lying down position. Now, obviously there are situations and to keep the language really simple here, where somebody's already mounted you, they're straddling you, their weight is on you, okay? And maybe their head is further away. So you can't immediately, you're going to have to do something to free your leg, or there isn't that nice space that you can go into. You can't really move your hips very well. And I think this is, um, again, one of women's worst fears, and it's such important stuff to teach. So if you imagine listening to this and take some of the emotion out of it again, just let's get physical here. So you're lying on your back, somebody's straddling and they're pinning your hands, right? Your hands are not free. Or maybe they're going to choke you. Weight is on you. There are very 
simple techniques that, you know, we call trapping a leg and rolling or bucking the person off. So effectively, in order to free your big gnarly parts to, you know, drive your knuckle in their eye and slam them in the head and all this other stuff enough to get out, you're going to have to get them off of you first, right? So this is where our hips are wonderful weapons, you know, and just if you can imagine in that image, if you can, if you're able to, Maybe you're trying to talk a person down. I'll do what you say. You know, please don't hurt me. I'm, you know, you're faking compliance, basically. And if you can bring up, plant one foot on the floor or bed or whatever it is. Yeah, bed's going to be squishy. That's okay. And then using thrusting, really thrusting a person off of your hips at the same time, maybe going to strike them, even if you fully can't with your palms, and if you can get them off of you or roll them off of you, you're displacing that weight, leveraging techniques. Now, if you can displace that weight and get the person off of you, now you have a better chance of, okay, you know, you have a couple of options. You either pull out your legs, which again, I'm a big fan of. It's not the only option, but one of the reasons why I really like this is because it keeps our throat at the furthest distance away. So imagine that you're able to, you know, you're struggling and you man, and, and you don't want to telegraph. This is where that coiling is in. Remember, we talked about the coiling gathering itself. You're calm on the outside. You may be freaking out on the inside. Okay. And you collect yourself. You use positive self talk. You're going to get through this. We can do this. Think, focus, breathe in your belly, right? Stay, force yourself, try. To stay present, okay, and you're not telegraphing. In fact, you're lying. You know, you're you're not struggling. You don't want to struggle against somebody's greatest strength. So if somebody's pinning my arms, I'm lying on the floor. I'm not going to uh, try to like you know struggle my hands. It's not going to work. Somebody's bearing down on you with more strength and size. So you might have to wait. Maybe in if he's going to rape you and he's pinning your hands and he's sitting on you and he's garbage mouthing. Maybe in that moment, he's also not attacking you. I mean, really, it's horrible. So in order to then, let's say, remove your blouse or your clothing or slap you, probably one hand is going to let go of his. Now, boom, there's your opening. Mm -hmm. Now you have an opening. Boom, you know, right into the face, plant that foot, do, you know, even if it's just raw and funky, everything you can to heave the person off of you. Now you can get pull. And when I say get your legs in between, I'm not talking about little wimpy kicks, not with your toes. You don't use the little itsy bitsy parts. You draw your leg all the way back. So when you drive it through, you're driving through with your heel and you're using the full power of your hips and momentum and you're yelling and you're targeting. You're not being just all over the place, you know? You have to be focused and target. My target is his head. My target is his throat. My target is, you know, now he's, for whatever reason, he's uh, behind me, elbow, you know, and so you have to be very focused. But the legs, if you can use them, and there are various kicks, thrust kicks, there are axe kicks where the leg goes all the way up, chops all the way down, hinging from the hip, not a little itsy bitsy thing from the knee, right? Yeah. And so in the meantime, if you employ this particular strategy, what you're doing is you're keeping your face and your throat at the furthest distance away. And I describe it as it's like, you know, it's like the general on the hill. You send in your legs to the heavy. So, and you keep so your this, face further back. This scenario. That's one option. 
This scenario is you're you're on your back. He's mounted you so is not between your legs. Is actually right. Uh, you have your legs between his legs because he's straddling like your abdomen or yes. your hips, and he's kind of immobilizing your hips to some to to a large right. extent in that moment. In that moment. So as That's you were right. saying, you know, in order for him to do anything else, he's going to have to shift his position. You know, yeah. he can't he can't rape you. Yeah. Exactly. Without spreading your legs and moving. So there's an opening. Exactly. Um, And that's what you have to do. Hunt for the openings. And even with a weapon, I mean, I literally know women who've been able to talk a person, you know, feigning compliance, staying collected on the inside, put the weapon down. You're scaring me, please. mm -hmm. I mean, whatever it takes. Right. And in the moment that weapon goes down, he's putting his hand down Mm -hmm. someplace. Balance is shifting. Yes, his balance is shifting. So this is why we have to seize, seize, carpe diem, seize these moments and these slivers of opportunity if we choose to physically resist. Now, you mentioned another common position where he's in between your legs, you know. Right. I was going to ask you, okay, so what if he's there? (laughs) Well, if he's, it's the same thing. If a person's obviously you don't want to be penetrated, right? So if a person's in between your legs and uh, maybe he's, taking your clothing off right or he's about to attempt to rape you he's pulling back the blanket there's still some shifting and even in that situation if he's still lying flat imagine if you will somebody lying flat on top of you in you know quote-unquote missionary position lying flat on top of you his weight is he's still bearing weight so if you can still plant a foot and you can still get some thrusting in your hip you are still likely to be able to displace his weight now again you know if in the book in nancy's book she describes this i mean moment of this brutal brutal attack where he's straddling her and he's starting to take her clothing off he's starting at the top and she's wearing jeans and a shirt and now what happens is he can't get her pants all undone right uh, and i'm not saying go out and wear tight pants yeah but whatever you have on and for a moment, he actually stands beside the bed to do so. Mm. Now, and again, this is no in any way blame or anything, but with the learning of strategy, that's your moment. You know, is there any opening? And sometimes you have to create it. Let's say a person's moving down another method that I teach. Let's say somebody's, you know, convinced that you're not going to fight. You've convinced them that you're going to do what they say. Okay. And they're starting to go down your body to deal with clothing or put the head someplace you don't want it. Once they're not exactly on your hips, you are, if with good training, you can very abruptly just snap your hip towards you. You can yank your legs. You can't do it slowly. It's just if somebody's down, let's say you let them get past your knees, okay, and they're tugging at your clothing or whatever it is. You are yelling, ferociously channeling your rage, channeling your terror. You can just pull really hard, pull your legs out free. I mean, there are, and then, you know, shrimping positions, obviously, which is another, I don't want to get too technical here, where you might be able to, um, if somebody's, let's say, kneeling and their, their knees are between your legs and their hands are up around your throat or whatever, up by your face. You can't, let's say you can't pull your legs back, but you might be able to swing your tailbone to the side and, uh, 
you know, what, in other words, instead of focusing on, oh my God, you know, he's got me all tied up and I'm immobilized. You need to be thinking what part of myself is free? Mm-hmm. What part of myself can I move? So there are techniques for that too, where, you know, you might be able to very aggressively, these, let's say, kneeling, you know, between your legs and starting to come towards you, swing, you know, it's a, it's a little bit hard to describe, but you basically shift to the side so that your tailbone swings out to the side. And that way you can maybe get a foot, a leg in between. You can, if you, anytime you can get your legs, your feet on a person's hips, they're coming towards you, do it mm-hmm. because the hips, if you control the hips, you control the body similar with the elbows. But the simple thing is, you know, again, somebody, you're at a beach, you're someplace, and there's this enraged person. If you can get your legs and get your heels planted momentarily even on a person coming towards you on their hip bones and give a good shove back, you know, you might not be able to get a good kick, but a really good shove. Now you might be able to get up and run. You might be able to, you know, throw dirt in his face, in his eyes. You might be able to you know, pull that fire alarm or grab the nearest thing and, you know, whack him in the head really hard. So I don't want to make this complicated, but there are basic um, concepts. If you can see space, take it, go in. If there's an opening, if you can get some movement. I I, I posted a thing on Facebook uh, recently where I just said, squirm like the Dickens. Mm -hmm. Even if you don't know exactly what to do, but you can start violently torquing your hips. You know, this way, that way, this way, and get a little bit of motion, a little bit of movement, you may be able to displace a person. But that's not enough. I mean, the point is, that's, you know, if they're, you know, you then have to follow through. You have right. to follow through with, you know, strikes, kicks, picking stuff up, yelling, you know, smashing thing into the wall, whatever you can do to facilitate your escape. And this is, I wanted to say, a little bit about the emotional thing. I talk about them as the powerhouse. powerhouse Before emotions. you go there, can you just talk a little bit about what you can do if you're in a situation where he's actually further up your chest towards okay. your mouth, more of an yeah. oral rape oral situation? Rape. Yeah. And just recently posted a picture about that too. I don't know if you saw that. Yes. Um, and, 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 you know, talking about this is, is not really going to do it justice. And, and, and uh, but yes, if somebody is sitting high up on your chest, it's an oral rape. Okay, let's realistically, if their goal is to orally rape you, they're going to have to sit high up on their chest, uh, on your chest, because there's only, you know, no, they're only so big. They have to be close to your mouth, right? If somebody's sitting up high on your chest, you have a couple of different options. If, let's just imagine for a minute, and again, take the emotion out of it. Let's just look at this physically in our mind's eye. And again, this is rape. This is nothing consensual. And let's say they unzip themselves or they're starting to, you know, they take themselves out. Often there'll be a sliver of a moment of relaxation or sometimes a slight lean back because, oh, they think, okay, you know, their glory days is, you know, not to be had, right? If the body leans back, his body ever so slightly, if you can abruptly swing your legs around, and this will depend on how tall you are. And hook his shoulders, right? So I'm on the ground. Somebody's sitting high on my chest. They're telling me awful things they're going to do. They start getting themselves ready, for lack of better words. 
And there's this one second, if they're leaning back, I'm going to send them back. So I'm going to swing my legs around, even if you can only hook one shoulder, because you can't always get those. And then in the meantime, my fists are balling together like a volleyball strike. And then using my hip power, I'm going to slam him backward down on his back, on his head, right? You can follow what I'm saying mm-hmm. here. And at the same time, immediately follow up by striking his testicles with your, my fists. So the legs go up, they hook shoulders, bam, back, yelling with your fists, either one or two, crashing, crashing down. Again, none of the moves I'm describing are choppy little moves. So this is where, you know, our prior, one of our prior episodes about being a warrior, about giving yourself permission to be violent about and that's a whole process in teaching in itself. You know, I mean, there's a process around how do we help women find this part of themselves and through drills and practice and so forth. But you have to give yourself permission because you can't test the waters. There is no testing of the waters because right. it's potentially more injurious. Okay. And I'm not a big fan of, you know, bite the man's dick. I mean, it may be, but it's just, I mean, you got to have more going on than that. That's just, you know, and if your face is within the range of his fist, yeah, you're, yeah, that's going to be a pound, a pound job. So if the person is leaning over you, let's just go back to an oral rape. Uh, and this time their hand is planted on the floor over your head. You're like, here, come on, you know, take this kind of a thing. So they're kind of leaning forward. You don't want to hook their legs and try to get their body to go backwards. That ain't going to work. So there are other techniques for thrusting your hips and volleyballing. Um, kind of from behind, think around the area of his tailbone or the perineum, the back of the scrotum. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they're leaning forward. If you can take your fists and slam, like, you know, like a hard volleyball strike, at the same time, thrust your hips up and you go, it's close to your own face. You kind of whiz by your own nose and face because that's how the anatomy works. And, you know, if you can get a, and, and you don't do these things once. It's not like, hey, I'm going to do this once and admire my handiwork. It's like, bam, 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 right? And then, again, if you can do that and get him kind of tipping forward over you, like in a a heave off, a a bucking kind of thing, then, you know, again, you can spin around, get your legs in between, uh, pick up something or whatever. And I I just want to say, because I don't want it to make it sound like the only thing you can do is use your legs. Now, a lot of martial arts, um, you know this probably better than me, um, in these reversals, they're called mm-hmm. reversals, um, which is, you know, you reverse the situation physically, but I connect to this on a spiritual and emotional level. You have to reverse the whole situation, pulling up every fiber of every ounce of strength, of every bit of your anger, your rage, your terror itself, which is a hell of a lot of energy when it's focused. You don't want to have an emotional bath all over your, the place, just, you know, catharsis. You're really directing that. So, you can um, then get on top of the person, mount them back. You know, so somebody's gotten them off of you, and this works a lot better in a nice floor in a dojo than you know on a bed or whatever. Although you might be able to move somebody onto the floor, you can then get on top of them, straddling them in simple language, and then start you know pounding away at their face or hammer fisting the, the fleshy underside of this. And there's nothing wrong with that. My only point and why I accentuate this is because um, if now the person is hurt and they're an injured animal, and if their arms, which are generally going to be longer than mine, 
if they can, and you're kind of leaning over, you're pounding them in the face. If they can reach your throat, they will. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and so you don't want to get choked and strangled. This is a very common, you know, tactic used against women. And that's one of the reasons why I really like, you know, get your head out of the way, get your throat to a safe distance, get those big ass legs powered by your big ass hips and pound away like a battering ram. And it may be a combination of all of the above, right? Mm-hmm. There's no one right way here. But I'm, what I'm trying to do, I don't know if I'm doing a good job, is to say, listen, this is not esoteric. We, these methods can be learned that are really get pretty simple. If there's a space, an opening, take it, go in. Use your tools. If somebody's on top of you, probably going to have to heave them off of you or get your hips somehow for it, right? Um, if you can get your hand on a weapon, do it. I mean, weapons of convenience, is there something you can pick up and slam? Again, using your own aggressive force. Don't be squeamish. Don't go off sicky-poo. This is a rapist, right? This is the occupational hazard of being a rapist. Yeah. Yeah. You know? and, and, and if you can even use the environment, um, you know, can you, in the midst of something, a struggle, or can you grab a person's ears and slam their head into the headboard into the floor you know you this is a time again if you choose to physically resist and to go back that's your choice right but if you choose to physically resist you know rape that is forceful and not all rapes are i mean a family member somebody you know can whisper horrible things into your ear without using violence because they're using coercion mm-hmm. and, and scare tactics. If you don't do what I say, you're never going to work here again. Now I'm not saying that's a good reason. I'm just saying, you know, or I'm going to go in that room next door and your kid is dead. Right. Got it. And so, right. And so if it's forceful, if it's aggressive, you have to return fire. If that's what you choose to do in order to enable that escape. So the my thing about weapons is called, what do you got? Right. Have you been struggling with concerns about your emotional or physical safety? I want to let you know about an exciting new coaching program that can help you get peace of mind and confidence. I've spent more than 20 years learning how to recognize and avoid people and situations that might be dangerous and how to get out of threatening situations if I couldn't avoid them. I would love to put this experience to use, coaching you in designing your own personalized strategy for keeping yourself safe. Now, my normal coaching rate is $500 a month, but I figured out a way to make this as affordable as I possibly can as an exclusive offer for just eight people. This is the Power Up Your Safety Laser Coaching Program. And in this program, I will work with you over short 15-minute calls to tap into your natural abilities so that you don't have to memorize techniques that you might forget in the heat of the moment, to develop strategies, tools, and skills to protect yourself and not rely on someone else like 911 or your significant other to step in and save you, to learn physical self-defense skills based on what everybody can do that work no matter what your age, size, or shape. You also learn how predators, abusers, and criminals operate so that you can recognize warning signs and avoid being in dangerous situations. 
you'll create mental blueprints for real scenarios that you might face, which means that you'll be ready to act, not stuck trying to figure out what to do in the moment. And you'll develop a powerful mindset so that you are motivated to take action and don't feel intimidated or stuck in fear. So for these eight select clients, this program is less than $84 a month for a full year of unlimited 15-minute laser coaching sessions with me. We start with a 30-minute call so that I can learn more about your specific concerns and questions about keeping yourself and your loved ones safe. And then, with each 15-minute call, we will agree on your homework for you to do so that you can take action between calls to move forward. And once you've done your homework, you can schedule your next call. So for example, you can have your call on a Wednesday, do your homework assignment right after your call, and schedule your next call right away. If you recognize that this is the perfect solution to move you from where you are now to where you want to be, just go to my website, CynthiaJoliKerRude.com slash laser to find out how you can apply to be one of this select group of personal clients who will get one full year of personal coaching from me for under $84 a month. Now, I just want to let you know that I do guarantee my program and my coaching. So if during our first call, you feel as though this is actually not a program for you, I will promptly return your money in full. So there's no risk at all to you in exploring this option. For those women who don't want to jump into a group program or who don't want to spend large amounts of time improving their personal safety, this is the way to go because we can go at the pace that you want to go spend as much time as you want to spend each week or each month and what we cover is personalized and customized just for you. I'm so excited to be able to offer this solution for you to help you overcome your concerns about your safety and to finally get you some peace of mind, confidence and freedom and I'm thrilled to be able to offer it in a way that suits your schedule and can be customized to meet your specific needs. So if you're interested in becoming one of the select number of clients, go to CynthiaJoliKerRude.com slash laser and sign up today. Well, I, I love this whole thing. I mean, that's pretty intense to talk about, you know, the specifics of different positions and what you can do. But I think what you really highlighted were some principles. You know, yeah. And you just outlaid some of them, but some of the other ones that kind of came to mind as we were going through this were, you know, patience. Tony Blower often talks about tactical patience, you know, mm-hmm. it's this choice to mm-hmm. bide your time and wait for the yeah, opportunity. Waiting. Absolutely. Waiting for the right timing, waiting yep. for your opening. And what and goes along with that. things in between. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what goes along with that is what you termed hunting, you know, just hunting, looking for that opening, looking for that moment where the balance mm-hmm. shifts where there's a space that you can use. You also talked about how you move. And I think the point that you made about just, it's basically explosive movement. You can't kind of wimpy, like try to maybe do something. No. You absolutely have to explode no, with no it with all your power. Absolutely. Even if it fails, then you do it again and then you do it again. Well, and, and if, you're, if you're doing it explplosively, it is going to have some kind of an effect. So, right. and that's and why sometimes you're still that's all looking. you need. 
Right. Is a small effect. And that's absolutely right. And and to Tony's point about, yeah, this is what I talk about as waiting. Like maybe a person's just saying horrible things. Remember, coil up inside. Try not to internalize it. You're waiting. Maybe you're saying something back. Maybe you're trying to convince them there's money on your dresser, there's jewelry, there's drugs, whatever it is. But you're yeah. waiting because you have to wait. Um, you have to use the element of surprise. Yes. This is one of women's crown jewels. Okay. Now, obviously, if she's already striking you and punching you about the face, you know, it's go time. Something, right? Most likely. Most likely. But again, in a lot of sexual attacks, there's a lot of the pinning and mm-hmm. garbage mouthing and the intimidation and that, you know, just terror tactics. So there are times when I teach women to wait, you know, because you don't want to struggle, you know, and we can't always wait, but that's good. I like that tactical patience. I think that's, that's very well said. So yeah, principles, principles. Exactly. And and another one that you, that you hit on was that when you do take action, you continue until you've done enough. And Mm -hmm. I think that's where like knowing Mm -hmm. what your goal is, is really important. You know, the thought of, well, I can reverse it and get on top of him and start pounding him. Like maybe you can, but maybe that's not actually your goal. Your goal is to get enough oh, space right. that you can get out the door. Oh, absolutely. Um, this is not submission fighting. No, 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 no. no, no. Exactly. No. Your goal is always to escape. Your goal is simply to facilitate escape, to enable escape. But often in order to enable escape, we have to disable or hurt. Exactly. Something on the other person. That's what enables our escape. And this is a really good point. And Unfortunately, sometimes, you know, in, 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 in some self-defense uh, martial art classes, in, in my opinion, they don't do the final moves, you know, oh. and it's like, maybe you're going to knee them in the head. Maybe, you, you know, you put a, pick up a chair and go lion tamer on them and nail them, to, you know, bam, you know what I'm saying? So yes. you have to, yes, we call this a continuous counterattack. It ain't over until it's over, until you can safely relatively speaking, escape or or get somebody to intervene. That thing, you know, about martial arts and most self-defense classes, not talking about like what it might actually take. That's exactly why I went to train with Tim Larkin is he was the first person that I trained with who was like, you know, you need to do enough to render that person disabled, unconscious or dead. Yes. And to go unconscious, take the head. <laughs> Absolutely. Knock out that command center if you oh, can, yeah. if you or can. cause enough damage to the human yeah. body that yeah. they become focused on the pain. Their pain. Exactly. Because that's a natural human instinct. Forgetting what it's called right now. But yes, we move away from pain. Yeah. Well, if and if, you, he's, if he's thinking about a broken collarbone or a ripped off right. ear... Right. Uh, he's not thinking about raping you anymore. Right. Look what Evander Holyfield, was that his name? Remember that, mm-hmm. that boxing fight years ago? Yeah. Where he, no. Um, so it Tyson. Was Tyson, yeah. Biting the ear it, off. He, it was a tiny piece. It wasn't biting the <laughs> ear off. You know, I'm not a big fan of, oh, it takes three pounds of pressure to rip off the ear. Uh, scream into it, yell into it, slam it, bite it. And what that does is it buys you time. Because we move away from pain. Mm-hmm. So if you go to punch my eye, I'm going to pull back. Oh, great. I've created a nice opening. Now, if I'm the attacker, for you to move in and keep going and knock my ass out. And this is for women, sometimes really hard to give themselves permission to actually damage, injure, 
you know, mm-hmm. inflict yeah. severe harm yeah. on another yeah. person. And the only thing I can say to that is you didn't start this. He did. And especially if you know the person, it's more harm. It's, I mean, if it's a stranger in a certain sense, psychologically, it's easier mm-hmm. because, you you know, this is a stranger. They've clearly attacked you. Now, what if it's your boyfriend and, mm-hmm. and you don't know this about him or somebody in the family, you know, and are you, are you really ready and prepared to go there to inflict harm? I mean, sure, you're going to try to use your words first. I mean, naturally, right? It's just that we have to be prepared for, for that to be a failure mode. You know, um, talk and empathy are not always saving graces. Mm-hmm. sometimes they are um, and it's really hard I think you know dealing with somebody that you know or somebody that you love or have loved or somebody in your family really makes it more challenging and that's why again the thwarting of it can you see the early signs of it right. is you know aggression growing and it's time to say goodnight and leave if you can right or use trickery or lie mm-hmm. you know or just lie and get yourself out um, you know, in a, yeah, I mean, what it, whatever it takes, because this is last resort kind of stuff. But the truth of the matter is we started out here. Right. Is that well, sexual violence is pervasive. Yeah. And he's the one who's chosen to initiate it. And so if in order for you to protect yourself because you value yourself, uh, you have to damage him. That's not you choosing to be a violent, evil person. That is you responding to a situation that you were put in that mm-hmm. you, you know, probably tried mm-hmm. to avoid. And I think when mm-hmm. you fight back in the ways that you're talking about, mm-hmm. you know, this has to be an absolutely committed rapist who absolutely is hell bent on completing this act to take power and control. And a lot of them are not that committed. I mean, even Albert DeSalvo, right? Think about yes, the Boston Strangler, point. right? And and so the, a few moves, and they're out of it. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I just, don't, I don't know mm-hmm. if people know his his story, but he raped hundreds, if not thousands, of women in Boston. Um, mm-hmm. And at mm-hmm. at one point, late in his career, he killed them and then raped them. And he was a oh. massive dude. He was a boxer. You know, he mm-hmm. had a lot of. He was former mm. military, mm. but when he was caught, your worst nightmare. Right? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But when he was caught and interviewed, one of the things that he said was that any woman who mm-hmm. resisted showed resistance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He let pass. It's just like, oh, not this one. So anybody Be- because showed that because he didn't want to get hurt or he didn't want the attention drawn or exactly he, why. Yeah, exactly. Ex- Right. And that will, that is, that's, that's why, again, we're talking about last worst case. We're talking about a committed rapist and a t- assailant. And again, it could be somebody, you know, and you know, it could be two minutes, you know, it could. So yes, resistance goes back to what the research shows us and it's not foolproof. And yes, you might get injured, you know, um, even with corroborating evidence, of course, you might get injured, but again, you know that's why you have to train, learn, assess, think, and trust your judgment in the moment. Only yeah. you, and and why 
you cannot, you must overcome, we must overcome the fear of injury. We must. Mm -hmm. Because the fear of injury, unfortunately, will lead to an ill-fated demise. Many, and I don't just mean a rape. I mean, there are stories of, it goes back to don't believe the disingenuous words a rapist or, you know, a, a criminal saying, just do what I say, just go in this freezer, do right. my business and let you out. I mean, unfortunately, we read these stories. So this is where I want to say too much, but, you know, we're, we're going to talk more about Gavin Becker's book, brilliant right. book, The Gift of Fear. But the thing is, fear is the best messenger. It isn't always the best strategist. So <laughs> my God, let, that's the gem. <laughs> yeah, great. You listen to your fear because it's telling you something. But you can't always do what it says because fear can tell you, just go ahead and do what he says. Because if we don't have other options at our disposal, we are likely to default to that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, listen to your fear. It's a messenger. But sometimes we have to kill our own fear. Say, fuck you, fear. Yep. You know, I'm doing this. Well, this seems like a great place for you to talk a little bit about the powerhouse emotions. I, I think oh, that's really right. important. So let's let's go Thank there. You. Okay. So yeah, I'm really so okay. Traditional male warrior paradigms tend to be very steely, in other words, and you don't have emotions. Emotions are seen as weakness. You want to be dispassionate. You want to kind of kill your emotions because it's thought in traditional warrior male paradigm that your emotions will cloud your judgment, you know, and they will work against you. Okay. So welcome to the female paradigm. I don't have the same size and strength as, you know, a brute. Few of us do. It doesn't mean we're not strong. I'm just saying. So where do we draw strength from? I mean, it's one of the questions I ask women is, where do you go inside yourself to pull up strengths you don't even know you have? And emotions carry a lot of power. So this is why I, you know, I think a little bit different than the dispassionate, traditional, conventional male warrior paradigm is a female paradigm where we use our emotions effectively, okay? where we need to draw strength from them. So this is where terror, I mean, terror is an enormous amount of energy and yeah, we, I, I, this is going to sound a little bit glib, but it's like return to center, you know? Why should I let somebody use my fear against me? It's my damn fear. Tara, I'm going to use it on him. <laughs> mm -hmm, so, I like that. You know, it's like terror is a strong emotion with a lot of energy. And rage, wrath. This is something you want to tap because, again, if you try not to go too negative, you know, you, you try not to let yourself collapse under this pressure. And by that, I mean internally mostly. So you need to summon your rage. And terror has to combust into rage. Other feelings, the strong feelings that women often have are grief. Just, I mean, I'm grief stricken by all of this. And, you know, if you know the person and this awful thing is happening, you may be overwhelmed by grief. So, I mean, there's a lot of emotions, but, you know, rage or wrath or fury, whatever label we want to put out on it, the terror itself and, you know, a, a grief or just, you know, anything like that. We have to be able to funnel that into action and call upon it to give us power. And that means often yelling through the voice. It means just 
That's why you coil up and you gather yourself. You collect your forces. You pull these parts of yourself, you, you know, you because you're going to use that to hose somebody down. So when you go to strike or move, you know, you're bringing those emotions with you. And, and this way they can work for us. I'm not talking about ineffectually just letting your emotions hijack your mind. Now, that's the downside. And that's what traditional warrior paradigms will say. Apply your judgment, you know. And no, that's not true. I mean, women also are less prone to, uh, we're not as prone to make them pay. I'm going to retaliate. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about self-defense. So, you know, the emotions of anger and rage, it's not make them pay. It's using that effectively in a focused fashion, focused fury. I often talk about as focused rage, as opposed to just, you know, as I said, just like cathartic all over the place. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about using it as a weapon. We need to weaponize our fear. Mm. We need to weaponize our anger. And that's a process. And, you know, but put those ideas in your head. And that's a, that's a reversal. Wow. I like that sound. That has a good ring, right? Yeah. I'm going to use my terror, my fear and turn it back against this person. And again, Skills matter, timing matters, waiting sometimes matters. So all of this is taken into consideration with everything else, right? I'm not a fan of just, you know, shouting at a person just because you're you're pissed off. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, you know what I'm saying? In a self-defense situation, that's, I mean, de-escalating is a whole other set of skills. And sometimes that can be used. You know, my friend who talked down her it was her ex who came to hurt her, rape her, and she created an internal conflict and she was able to de-escalate, to take, you know, to lower his aggressive arousal. And this is where, you know, also, last point, I probably show the hands. You know, somebody's on top of you, maybe even you're waiting and, you know, my palms are out, I'm showing my hands. I'm not going to hurt you. I'm going to do whatever you say. Let a person get used to seeing your hands out there. Mm-hmm. Because then when you go to stab at his face with them, it, it comes out of the blue. <laughs> you know? Right. So you go from neutral to a tack dog to the junkyard bitch. That's that's really interesting because, of course, in the spear system, when we talk about our nonviolent postures and and it's all driven yes. by physiology, you know, yes. when you're taken by surprise and you startle flinch, your hands come up. They'll they'll try to protect your head, or you know, depending course. on where the attack's coming from, right? It's very yep. natural. I mean, even when somebody is approaching us, yep, walking, natural hands, very mm-hmm. natural. Bring those hands up, like, hey, you know, take it easy. Bal- Let's talk about this. Same thing in boundaries. You bring yeah. your hands up, but your palms are out. You're not fisting. Your palms are as if calm down yes. the situation. So almost like slightly, you know, moving your hands from higher to lower, it, you know, it's okay. We're going to work our way through this. You know? yep. You're not telegraphing aggression. It's neutral. You yes. want to be neutral. Yes. And, and then what, explode out of it. And what Tony calls that is the Trojan horse, because what it's hiding is the fact that all of your great, you know, close quarter tools, your, you know, your palm strikes, your eye gouges, your elbows, all of that stuff is hidden right there. And it looks like you don't know anything. Absolutely. I, we, I say them, I call them hidden hands. Yep. I you love know? it. It's called, I call it hidden. In fact, when I'm teaching palm strikes, 
uh, often have it start, you know, in drills with pads and then, you know, in a scenario with your hands up mm-hmm. very naturally. It elbows a little bit in. You don't want to, I mean, some people no do chicken this. Wings. really bugs me. <laughs> yeah, no chicken wings and no, don't put your palms out by, uh, on either side of your shoulder because all that does is frame your face. Yep. You know, yep. <laughs> hands up in a, in a calming gesture that don't look like anything. Mm-hmm. It's a, a very nice natural stance. It's a very natural movement. And you don't go back. You don't wind up. You only go in. It's this the spirit of entering. You go in. Yeah, I love it. Well, they talk about nearest target, nearest. Yeah, closest uh, target. Nearest, closest, closest weapon, target. closest target. Yeah, yeah thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but very same, very, very similar idea. And these are good skills for women. You know, I, I mean, I just... Uh, along with boundary setting and assertiveness and avoidance and, you know, de-escalating and being nice to people and, you know, just all the other stuff that a lot of us are are kind of good at. What we're not as good at, because a lot of us have, we've talked about this, the violence inhibitors. Most women already have ample violence inhibitors. So part of what we're learning in all of this is how to also, you know, be able to when it's appropriate, go off. Yeah. Go ballistic. Take the head. Move in. Close on the enemy. These are military combative terms that personally, I really want women to own. I want women to make these this language as well as the doing second nature. Mm-hmm. Well, and I love you know what you're talking about with these powerhouse emotions and i i i love the different paradigm because yeah if you work with guys emotions are seen as bad things that you need to sort of set aside when yeah. you need to act and especially in any kind of fighting situation exactly situation. exactly mm-hmm. but i but it mm-hmm. makes so much sense to me that being mm-hmm. able to harness yeah the emotions that naturally come up because it is a fucking outrage to have somebody try to do this to you it's an outrage. And so and being able to, to be tap outraged. into that yeah. and yeah. use it to fuel yeah. what we do yeah. That's is called outrage. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I love that. Mm-hmm. And I think that is really a game changing sort of paradigm shift for women. It, it is, isn't it? That's you part know? of what I need to write about. It, it really, when I finally kind of, you know, for years I've been immersed in the study of women warriors and the warrior spirit and it just it's so clear to me i mean this really i mean there are women who are combatants and just to shift gears a little here who are steely and uh, you know mechanized and cold and calculated and and they can be very good at it but i think for the average woman meaning most of us and i say that mm-hmm. loving women right you know we we need to tap the emotions and one of my instructors earliest instructors Marshall Austin Starter once said to me something that really, and he was a, 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 a came from a military background. And he said to me, this never left my head. He said, in, in a combat situation, which, you know, if it goes physical, basically we're in it, it is kind of a combat situation. He said, you want to be ice cold from the neck up and on fire from the neck down. Hmm. And what he meant by that was to be calculated to you know keep a cool head right but underneath that and below that you want to be on fire with your capacity to deliver and i just thought man that is good yeah i love it i love that so good and i think 
yeah, that is that is really good. And you know, the the passage I read in Nancy's book, uh, just for the listeners, because it's a horrible story. She he left at one point. He just fled. He was uh, playing cat and mouse with her with kitchen knives and knives. And, you know, she was, he would try to choke her almost into unconscious and then let her go. But the whole time, to her credit, she was able, even in this state of immobility, the last time he, she heard him playing with the cutlery in her kitchen. And while he was there, she mustered the strength, God knows how to roll onto her stomach and practice thrusting her shoulder blade up, thinking that if he stuck the blade, the knife, into her shoulder blade, he probably wouldn't penetrate her. Man, that is some wow. serious presence of mind. And then he came back in the room, and every couple of minutes he would just slap her about the head. He came back in the room. I don't remember exactly what transpired. And then he just disappeared. Hmm. So... She writes the book. It's a fabulous book. I cannot recommend it enough. It's dated. I mean, there's a lot of the early neuro um, bio, bio research, the neurological research from the late 90s, especially from this guy named LaCroix, I forget his name, from, um, that was one of the first researchers, uh, neuroscientists, who really explored stress and adrenaline response and that kind of thing. So it's full of research. It's a little old, but I tell you, it's, it's one of the most inspiring in the end uh, books I have read about this topic. So I, I really recommend if you're in the market or interested in that, um, please buy that book. And, yeah, we'll put that uh, in the show it. notes too. So, so it's easy to find. Outstanding. Good. Good. Can good, you good. Well, talk just briefly about the aftermath and, and how yeah. to deal with the shock and the trauma of having been through a rape? Oh, how much time? Do we have? I said briefly, but <laughs> I know, I know, I know. No, I will be brief because that is a huge topic and it is a topic I'd like to talk about it. So, I mean, often people because of our survival mechanisms. I mean, even in any kind of physical attack, even mug, let's just say, take it down a few notches. It's terrifying. And it's often, typically after the fact that a person breaks down, cries, shakes uncontrollably, you know, because, you know, in the, in the midst of this, you, you, you're, you are keeping some, emo- some emotions at bay while tapping other emotions. So it's huge. I mean, there's no way else to say it. It, it, you know, being attacked and being raped brings a shock to the psyche and soma, unlike anything else. And the you have to get help. I mean, obviously right after a rape, you need to call medical, you need to you know, go to an emergency room, you need to be tested you, they need to take a rape kit, the DNA evidence, and it's horrible. You know, um, some people call a friend or a loved one first, that makes perfect sense. But, you know, you want to try not to wash and all that kind of thing. But it takes a really long time. Get hooked up with a really good therapist. Get a lot of support. Another book I will recommend is Judith Herman's book, Trauma and Recovery. It's a brilliant, brilliant book. I I know her. Some things I have to hold in confidence, but I I, I know her and her work is beautiful. And she actually cites me in self-defense in the book. But you've got to go through a long process of healing and recovery and reintegration and and feeling safe. The first thing is safety, reestablishing a sense of safety and trust with somebody who you absolutely feel safe with, 
and trust. So, you know, therapy initially might be nothing more than establishing a trusting, safe relationship. And you're not going into the gory details. You know, things happen in phases and they take time. But what happens is, especially if there is some kind of immobility or extreme freezing, um, you know, I use this word splintered, parts of ourselves, we check out, you know, leave the body, however you want to say it, the psychic coming. So these parts of ourselves kind of go missing in action. And part of the healing and recovery is being able to kind of pull them back in and deal with them. I, I liken it sometimes to, you know, it's like pieces of ourselves. Otherwise, if, if they're not attended to, left unattended, the trauma from rape, the PTSD, rape trauma, it will wreak havoc. And so, you know, these parts of ourselves can end up orbiting in psychic outer space for a very long time. And it affects our behavior destructively often or promiscuously. A lot of women um, become quite promiscuous and people don't understand that. I mean, I totally get it. They're sort of recreating something and it's, um, you know, a, a way of not a healthy, but an attempt to feel again mm -hmm. in different ways. So there's, you know, all kinds of behaviors and things. And the main thing is get help. And, and get really good help. Go to seek out a therapist who has experience with rape trauma, ideally. And there's practical things. You know, when I, I wasn't raped, but I had that terrifying experience in Boulder where a person broke into my house in the dead of night. And I suffered terrible PTSD and hallucinations, audio hallucinations. I was convinced that, you know, the sound of rustling leaves was him coming back at me. And, and you know, you have to have help for this so that you can recover. Recovery is, of course, possible, and it happens. I mean, scar tissue is tough stuff, and we recover. But honestly, I would say it like this, that the aftershocks may be forever. They may, it's kind of like an earthquake. There are fault lines, right, that created it. And so, too, in, in, a, in the aftermath of a rape, not always and not forever, but often the fault line remains. So that when we're dealing with stressors in life, a change in a relationship, a new job, a loss of one kind or another, it can trigger those fault lines. And the key word here is trigger. And it will, you know, take us back to some of the feelings and thoughts and the hypervigilance and, you know, the intrusive thoughts and just the anxiety, the depression. I mean, any of those symptoms. So you always, you know, you're dealing with this, you get therapy, you get help, you get support, you choose very carefully who you associate with, you don't have to tell anybody. You know, what's most important is for the survivor is that she retain control over her decisions at that point, you know, what what you want to say, who and so forth, because it's, it's a lot about, as we said, you know, the loss of control. And just, you know, it just, it takes time. And the last thing I'll say, I'm trying to be brief, I'm not going to brief. One of the, I mean, from my own experience, and again, it wasn't a rape, but it was traumatic. Self-defense training can be a very valuable therapeutic aid in healing, in helping the healing and help you regain a sense of body control and power that was taken away and that self-possession. And obviously also arm you with strategies and techniques to help reduce the chance of re-victimization. So, you know, but you have to also there be careful. You know, I, yoga can be great. Theater, Bessel van der Kolk is also the author of a brilliant book called The Body 
speaks its mind, I think. And he's actually a big fan of self-defense. He came to my school many years ago in Boston. He's a real, really brilliant guy. And it's all about, you know, therapeutic modalities through the body. EMDR, there's a whole eye movement desensitization thing that some people really find useful. But I think that when the timing is right, you know, you're fresh with trauma, you know, it's probably not the best time for you to go to a self-defense class. It may trigger a flood of sensations. That's what we have to watch out for. While it may, you know, the aftermath of rape can reduce sensation and pleasure and anything in the body, it can also bring on a flood of feelings that we are not at the time equipped to deal with, which is why you have to be very careful. So timing is important, you know, especially if you're seeking out any kind of you know, scenario training or full force training, it can be extremely therapeutic. I talk about it as a curative nightmare, especially if it's a kind of training that recreates simulations that are in some way approximate the kind of thing that happened to you. You know, you have to, you have to be very careful. This is a big thing in, in, in the background that I come from. We don't want to re-traumatize right. our students. We want to help them. So timing matters, but, you know, go where it feels right. Massage therapy, But again, too soon, it may bring up a host of all kinds of feelings that you are not ready for or able to handle because we get flooded. And so we have to get the boundaries back. We have to get the body boundaries back. We have to know, be able to say, okay, that's enough. Sensation tolerance is often another way that it's, it's talked about. So, you know, it, it's, and the other thing, one of the greatest things Judith Herman talks about, and I completely agree with her, is getting involved in some community organization or where you give back and you help other survivors Mm -hmm. survivor groups are very powerful and you know sometimes that's an important part of healing is to help others and just know that you're not alone and you know we i mean if we had a globe in front of us right now cynthia and we spun it to any close our eyes we spun it to any place on the planet welcome survivors you are going to find it is a huge huge network mm-hmm. and we can draw strength from that so any place we can draw strength we get reestablish safety and trust work through this stuff you know regain possession of and control in our bodies and power you know then you probably were on the we're on the we're on the path oh that's great thank you that's a really comprehensive set of recommendations there. And I think the really important thing is like no one thing suits every person. And it's absolutely you know, just as, mm-hmm. as what you experienced mm-hmm. is very specific to you. You got to kind of navigate mm-hmm. to the things that are best going to help you at a particular time. And if something doesn't work, exactly. try something else, you know, or if it's right. not the right time. And trust to yourself, you know, yeah. trust yourself. You have to have authority over this process. You know, don't let yeah. anybody talk you into something that is not right. And some people will, even with the best of intentions, mm-hmm. you know, oh, you should do this. Or you, no, 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 shoulds, you know, yeah. have a trusted support person or persons and you maintain authority and agency over how this process happens. Well, Melissa, we have been talking for quite a while, so I suppose we need to wrap it up. But before we do, I know that you are cooking up some plans to do some (laughs) mentoring again in in the Mm -hmm. not too distant future. And I just want you to give people a heads up about what you are going to be starting. And of course, you know, we can 
we can share more when you're ready to kick off this new program. But can you talk cool. a little bit about what you are thinking of? I will. And yank on my chain if I get too long-winded. <laughs> That's said between friends, folks. That's not an abusive thing, okay? I have, for a while now, I have been mentoring instructors. I'm, you know, I'm 66. I'm getting old and I'm suffering some medical situation. So, you know, I'm not out there on the mat teaching like I used to. And right now, not at all, but I mentor instructors and I take, I love it. It's, I I mean, my task right now is to pass my torch uh, in a manner of speaking. So I'll be starting up again in the fall, most likely in September. And what I do and will be doing is mentoring. This is instructor mentoring. Okay. Individual instructors, groups, schools, and effectively I'm trying, I'm looking to work with and have folks who are not new newbies, people who have already done teaching, preferably some self-defense training to women. Okay. So they're not um, beginners here. I'm I'm not going to take you from zero all the way through. That's just not realistic. And my goal is to really deepen people's knowledge, skills, insights, and wisdom. It's a big field in teaching women self-defense in a very comprehensive way. And that includes um, helping instructors and schools learn how to best help women, you know, tap into their emotional, spiritual, and psychological preparedness and strengths, um, because that's hugely important, as we've discussed. It Mm -hmm. includes um, understanding and educating sometimes people about the realities facing women, which is that, you know, we are often attacked, assaulted, uh, unwanted touching and so forth by people we know. So this is not, you know, just, uh, this is not about the guy in the back alley who, you know, attacks you and that's all we do. Not at all. So part of it is educating and helping instructors then bring certain skills and insights and practices and discussion to bear that is realistic in terms of what women face. Now, of course, that also includes, you know, practical skill sets. For including rape defense, which oddly enough, a lot of places actually don't do. And I, I help um, instructors to cultivate very keen perceptual skills. This is really important because most self-defense instructors are not trained in you know, social work or you know high-level perceptual stuff. Some are because it's important to listen, to hear, to see, and to notice, pay attention to what's really going on with the students, whether it's a short class or a long class. Where might there be some obstacles? What can I do to help you know, women go deeper or move beyond that or being able to identify what the inhibitions, you know, a particular woman or group are having. How do I pull themes by listening and, you know, create little mini discussions is a whole thing I do around that to really to help women go further and really integrate the skills that they need. So I, I get into group dynamics and helping instructors understand how groups work and things to know about that and ways to use a group to further facilitate the best training. I get into trauma. I help instructors and schools um, understand about rape trauma and trauma and the things that, you know, we need to do and say and make safe in a teaching environment for women. So it's kind of all of the above. And what I really do is customize this to the individual trainer. You know, I mean, for example, some Krav Maga instructors I've worked with to really take them to the next level. And, and I mean, really, it's shocking how much people just don't know mm-hmm. about teaching women and helping women. And also I get into role plays, you know, helping people understand 
what creates a, a good role plays, depending on what your goals are, and also even scenario training. I mean, I coach and I instruct to varying degrees around that. So it's really customized. It's It depends on what a person brings. My goal is to help my uh, mentoring. My goal is to help a person become the best they can be as an instructor, as a school, as a group in this very full realm of what's involved in teaching women empowerment-based self-defense. So it's it's a lot of stuff. <laughs> it's I, a lot of I stuff. I love it. I mean, you have such a wealth of experience. You know, you're not talking theoretical. You're talking about what taking what you have learned and developed through decades of teaching mm-hmm. women and mm-hmm. you know bringing that it's such a it, it, it will be when you start doing this again such a great yep. gift to any of us who have the same commitment that you do to helping good women be safer yes. to be able to leverage all that you have experienced and and you know take that in order to lift ourselves up to the next level. So I just, I love the and, passing and there is, torch. I think that's Thank wonderful. you. Oh, thank you. And there is some theory. I will say that. I mean, I oh, yeah. people reading assignments and want to understand this concept, this theory, why you might choose this language when talking about something as opposed to this language, how people learn. So yeah, it's yeah, but that's it is, practical it's theory. Stuff. That's it not just, practical. you know, Applied theory, I have yeah. this idea, but I've never tested no, it. I've never seen it in it action. And it doesn't work with women. I mean, that's the thing that I, 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 I it's so clear. And I know that you know this too. It's a, there are different styles of teaching. The old school style is you deliver information and your students get the information, right? That's not going to work with most women. Women learn and receive information through connection, mm-hmm. through feelings, through media you kind of transmission, you know? So it, it really calls for a very different perspective you know, just like the female warrior paradigm, it's a very different perspective. And and I, t- I, I do this with men, not just women, but I'm very selective. And, um, you know, I need to be, and I don't want to waste my time. And like I said, you know, I'm really looking to help people become the best at doing this within the context of their training. I'm not going to turn, you know, a Krav Maga school into a Melissa Salt school. I'm not trying to clone myself, but within the context of what they do, you know, then my test is how do I help them do create a women's program or or improve what they're into play in a way that works cool. Yes. Well, I love it. And you know, when we get a little closer to it, we'll we'll put out some promos so I can really support oh, you, in, you in reaching more more uh, male and female coaches of of women's self-defense because I know what you have to offer is absolutely extraordinary. And I mean anything I can do to help you touch and support other coaches, I will all in to do. So stay tuned oh, listeners because we'll we'll have more on that pretty soon. But for today, Melissa, it's been quite a ride. Thank you so much for I taking know. this journey. I, I can't think of one takeaway because there's like a hundred of them. <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave that to you, my dear. <laughs> well, you know, I think the biggest takeaway is that in these situations, which many, many, many women have already experienced or are going to experience, you know, we're not helpless. There are a lot of strategies. There's a lot of mental and emotional preparation, a lot of physical tools that we can learn that can help. And I think the biggest takeaway for me is just, you know, you're not doomed. 
automatically. Oh, no, not even. We need to reverse that thought, too. Absolutely. And I love that. What's the name of your program again? I believe it's called Born to be a Badass. There you go. (laughs) There you go. Well, thank you so much, Melissa. Until the next time. Thank you. This is the Born to be a Badass podcast. Fierce and Female Friday with Melissa Solt. Stay safe and be a badass. You've been listening to the Born to be a Badass podcast, the groundbreaking show that shines the light on women, violence and safety, life after trauma and how to build personal power and courage. Be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode and share it with your friends, family members and colleagues. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review that will help our show reach more women around the world. Tune in regularly for more exciting conversations full of insights and wisdom you won't hear anywhere else. And until next time, embrace your inner badass.